welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Holy Spirit, would you open up hearts today? Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand your teaching today, Lord? And open the eyes of our heart, God. Enlighten us to your truth. And Holy Spirit, would you just reveal Jesus today, Lord? We want to continue worshipping you, Lord, in this teaching. And so we are open to hear from you. Help me, Lord, bring your anointing and your grace, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to get straight into it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 5. Ooh, this is not a drill, people. You, you turn into Revelation. Revelation 5. Oof. So who is the Antichrist? No, I'm joking. It's not that. <laughs> no, we're going to read all of chapter 5, okay? So um, if you've got it in front of you in some format, follow along with me, okay? So we're going to go from verse 1, Revelation 5. The scroll and the lamb. It says in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, what an incredible passage of Scripture this is. I think that every time I've read this passage, my heart gets stirred because it's like I can sense that there is this weight and this magnitude of this passage. And yet, every time I read it, I come away feeling like I haven't quite grasped what that is. It can be hard to, you know, really grasp the magnitude of it with, if you get lost in some of the symbols or if you don't quite understand the language or if, if there's things that you don't quite understand. It can be difficult to quite understand exactly the gravity of this chapter. But I believe that chapter 5 of Revelation is one of the most critical and climactic points in the entire Bible. Because from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, when man first sinned, since they disobeyed God, every moment in Scripture since then, it, it reaches this crescendo point in, in Revelation 5. And every moment that we read in Scripture since that fall of man, it finds its purpose and its fulfillment in chapter 5. And then it's this crescendo moment that ultimately makes way for the return of Christ later on in Revelation. But if the scroll in chapter 5 remains shut, then the rest of the events of Revelation don't actually occur. If the scroll remains shut, then man has no hope for redemption. And we are locked into a world that is governed by sin. And so the horrors of sin, murder and death and pain and sickness and grief, that is what we exist in unless the scroll is opened and makes way for the return of Christ. So the predominant theme of Revelation 5 is this. It's the worthiness of the Lamb. Christ, the slain Lamb, alone is worthy to take the scroll. Christ alone is worthy to open the scroll. Christ alone is worthy of all honour and all glory and all praise. And the word worthy is mentioned four times in this chapter. The first time, it's a question. Who is worthy? Izzy, you can put that up on the screen. Before that. The first time, it's a question. Who is worthy? The second time, it's a statement. No one is found worthy. The third time, it's a declaration. You, the lion and the lamb, are worthy. And then the fourth time, It's a celebration, and all of heaven sings the song of redemption, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And this is where we get our worship songs, like we were singing. Worthy is your name. Worthy is the lamb of God. But have you ever considered and pondered and truly meditated on what it means for Jesus to be the only one who is worthy? And have you really understood the worthiness of the lamb? So we're going to look at these four things on the screen, okay? We're going to look at each mention of worthiness, and we're just going to see and unpack this chapter and try and grasp, grasp the magnitude of the worthy lamb, okay? So the first time that we see the subject of worthiness raised, who is worthy? It's the question. So let's go to verse 1 and 2. 
It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? So the mighty angel that John sees in this vision, he raises this cry to all of creation. And it's a question of who is worthy. But to understand who is worthy, we first have to understand for what purpose are they worthy? What are they worthy to do? And that's in the rest of the question. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Because if you see in the hand of the one on the throne in verse 1, the one on the throne is God the Father, is the Ancient of Days, Okay, in chapter 4 of Revelation, that's where we see the living creatures encircling the throne and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. So the father on the throne is sitting and he has a scroll in his hand and he is looking for someone to come and take that scroll off him. But he is looking for the one who is worthy and qualified to take it. So what is this scroll exactly? Because everything seems to hinge on what is contained in this scroll, and if it is opened. As I said, the rest of the events of Revelation are all contained in the scroll. So if it remains shut, we don't see the next events, okay? So understand that the scroll, first of all, when the readers of John's vision, right, he sent the letter of Revelation to the seven churches. When they read and saw a scroll, they understood that a scroll means an important document. Okay, important documents were rolled up and they were sealed, often with more than one seal. And what that meant was that not just anyone could open the scroll and read it. It had to be for the intended recipient and in the presence of witnesses to make sure it was the right person. So when the readers read this letter and this vision and see a scroll, they understand, okay, that is an important document. There is something contained in there that's important. But the scroll is three things all at once, okay? And we're going to just go through it to clarify and help you understand the rest. And it might help you in understanding Revelation too. But the number one thing that it is, first of all, it is the complete and written word of God. It is God's book of redemption. Okay, so if you see in verse 1, it says it is written on both sides, the front and the back, or verse 2. And so nothing is able to be added to it. Nothing is, to be able, is able to be taken from it. It is complete, okay? So it is God's full plan of redemption from the very beginning all the way to the very end. It has every part of his plan of redemption on it. And we have the full plan of redemption here compiled into 66 books, okay? This is the revealed plan of redemption. But remember that in John's time, those books had not been compiled yet. And up until this vision... They didn't actually know exactly how the end time would unfold. Jesus had prophesied of it. Paul had taught on it. Peter taught on it. Um, Daniel, the book of Daniel is full of prophetic events. But Revelation and this scroll is a continuation of the events of Daniel. Okay? So if you see in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. So God had revealed to Daniel in the Old Testament the same events, but he only permitted him to write down and reveal to the people a certain portion of it. The rest of it was sealed up until the end. And this is where, as the scroll is un 
broken open, we see the rest of those events take place. So it is God's complete and written word, all right? His full book of redemption from start to finish. All right, number two, it is a catalog of judgments and prophetic events to take place. So the scroll contains within it a list of God's judgment and his wrath that he's going to pour out on the earth, okay? That's what we see in the next chapter, in chapter 6. You can see that as each seal is broken, a new judgment or a new prophetic event takes place, right? So as the scroll is opened and read out, another judgment is, is released. That's where you can see the four horsemen, where they wage war on the earth. They bring pestilence and famine and plague and there's death and there's terror. And the closer we get to Christ's return, the more direct these come on the earth, okay? So... This is the important part, though. No one is worthy to open the scroll and release this judgment unless they qualify as the perfect judge. And the perfect judge needs both the moral authority and the legal right to take up the judgment of God. Okay, so what does moral authority mean? It means they have to be perfect in nature. They have to be perfect in virtue, perfect in compassion, perfect in justice, okay? And then the legal right, To be able to execute the judgment of God, you also have to be able to legally offer salvation. All right? God will not pour out judgment where he doesn't first offer redemption. And so the perfect judge has to to be perfect in nature and has to have the legal authority. They have to also be able to give salvation. And this is why it's sealed, because he won't pour out the judgment and his wrath unless the perfect judge is there to execute it. And furthermore, unless mankind is first purchased and redeemed, he's not going to pour out that judgment because, or else we would all be wiped out. And he doesn't wish that any would perish. So he's waiting for someone who is the perfect judge to be able to offer salvation, to purchase mankind, but also to be able to administer that justice perfectly. So that brings us to the third thing that the scroll is. It is the title deed of the earth and all mankind. So as I said, it's God's waiting for someone who has purchased the earth. And a title deed is that very thing. It is the legal document that is evidence of ownership. Okay, it is a certificate of ownership. It's a deed of purchase. So has anyone bought a plot of land before? When you buy a piece of land, in some format, your name is written down on a certificate of ownership that shows that you have paid the full price for that land, okay? And as long as your name is on that certificate and you hold that certificate of ownership, it shows that you have the ownership of that property. So the scroll is the certificate of ownership of the earth. It shows that whoever holds that scroll and that certificate, it shows that they have paid the full price and purchased the earth and all its inhabitants. It shows that we, mankind, remain the property of whoever has bought us. And the scroll is waiting for its owner, the one who has paid the price, to come and collect that. All right, so those three things, let's recap. Number one, it's the complete word of God, God's full plan of redemption. Number two, it's a catalogue of judgments and prophetic events. And number three, it is the title deed of the earth, the certificate of ownership of mankind, So the question goes out, who of you creation has the qualifications to take and open the scroll? 
In other words, the angel is asking, do you fulfill the complete word of God? Every letter of the law, every prophetic utterance, and every promise. Do you fulfill God's plan for redemption? Number two, are you the perfect and righteous judge to execute God's holy justice? Are you the perfect judge who can offer salvation? And number three, have you paid the full price to have possession of the earth and all mankind? Because if you don't fulfill these three things, then stand aside because you are not worthy. And that brings us to number two. The second time we see worthiness raised, it's the statement, no one is worthy. So go to verse three. Let's read it. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So the mighty angel shouts this challenge for someone to come forth who is worthy. But in all creation, in heaven, the angelic realm, on earth, the, the mankind's realm, and under the earth, the fallen or the asleep, even fallen angels, no one was worthy because no one had the authority or the virtue for such a task. And heaven is waiting with bated breath. You can sense the tension as there's just silence that echoes out as no one is worthy to answer the call. And John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, as the echoes of his cry recede, there is only silence. The powerful archangels, Michael and Gabriel, do not answer. Uncounted thousands of other angels remain silent. All the righteous dead of all the ages, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, Moses, King David, Solomon, the great prophets Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Peter, and all the apostles, even Paul, remain completely still along with every other man who has ever existed because they are not worthy to take up the scroll and open it. So no one fulfilled the requirements or even had the ability to fulfill the requirements. And John, realizing what this means, it says in verse 4 that he weeps greatly because he understood the significance of what it meant if that scroll was to be opened or remain unopened. He knew that that scroll was the only hope for mankind's redemption. It was the plan that allows man to be saved from being cut off from their creator. And upon realizing this, he weeps because if no one is worthy, then we are lost. Can I just say it how it is? You are not worthy to save yourself. If you think that you can do enough good or enough works to be counted as worthy to enter the kingdom of God and enter his presence, know this. You are not worthy. The standard of heaven is perfection. It is perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. So the only thing that you and I are worthy of is every judgment that is contained within that scroll. That's what you and I are worthy of. 
And this is how far we fell in the garden. It wasn't just that man disobeyed God and brought sin into the earth. It's that when God gave authority and possession of the earth to Adam, he was the chief in command of all creation. There was no one with greater authority than Adam on the earth. But when he disobeyed God and obeyed the serpent instead, he took all the authority that was given to him and the ownership of the earth and he handed it right over to Satan. And now Satan exists as the owner and the master of this world. And you can see it in scripture because Satan tried to offer it back to Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan said, I will give you all the kingdoms. It was his right to give it over. Just as man gave it to Satan, it was his right to give it away if he wants. And he said to Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. He was willing to give possession of the earth back to Jesus. So the only way to regain possession is if Satan hands it over willingly, which he's not going to do, or if it is purchased back for the full price. So remember the third thing of the scroll, it is the title deed of mankind. It shows someone has purchased the earth and all its inhabitants. And the only way for us to come out of the ownership of Satan is to be bought legally and for the full price by someone. But this is why we so desperately need someone who is worthy. We need someone who is worthy to be counted as our redeemer. What does redeem mean? Redeem means to buy back again, to purchase back by paying the full value, to ransom back from captivity or bondage, especially the bondage of sin. We need a worthy redeemer to come and pay our ransom and our debt, or else we are still counted as unworthy. And if there was anyone else, would God have sent his only son? But there was no one that stepped forward. So what hope do we have? Number three, behold the lion and the lamb who is worthy. Verse five, do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered He has triumphed. He has prevailed. He has overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So when there was no hope, behold the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. The only one with the necessary qualifications answers the cry. And this glorious royal and majestic, mighty and powerful, courageous lion steps forth. This is the conqueror of all, the one who has prevailed, the one who has triumphed, and the one who has overcome. So what is this lion's conquerings? He has overthrown sin. He has met face to face with the prince of darkness. He has overcome him in the wilderness. He wrestled with him in Gethsemane and crushed that serpent's head under his heel. He ripped apart the veil which separated man from God. He stormed the gates of hell and took back the keys to release the prisoner. He conquered death and the forces of evil once and for all. Jesus, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, descended of King David, royal in his kingship, is the one who has overcome, full of force, terrible and irresistible in might, strong and courageous. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who steps forth as the lion and he alone is worthy to answer the cry because he has conquered. But do you know what? The more of a conqueror we see this lion and the more triumphant we see his battles and the more he has prevailed over darkness, it is all the more astounding of how he accomplished it. Because he didn't triumph in glorious splendor with dignity and grandeur. He triumphed by humiliation and a shameful death. He triumphed in the lowest of low states. Put up verse 6 for us, is he? It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So instead of stepping forward in the sight of all of heaven with a glorious golden crown on his head, dressed in kingly garments, he steps forward still wearing the crown of thorns that was driven into his head. He steps forward wearing the wounded and torn apart flesh by which he won everything. He comes not proud and mighty as the lion, as he deserves to be seen, fierce in reputation, eyes of blazing coals, dressed in unapproachable light, it says in 2 Timothy. He comes as a lamb in a state of lowliness and meekness and gentleness in his state of suffering and sacrifice. This is your worthy conqueror. Jesus, the lion at his greatest conquering and his greatest triumph, comes forward as he lived on earth, lowly, covering his glory, and instead wearing the testimony of his greatest act of love for each one of us. He comes in the, dressed in the very wounds that we put on him and is a testimony of his gentleness and his love towards us. The one who is greater than the greatest became lower than the lowest. And even in heaven, he fulfills the scripture. Philippians 2, bring that up. It says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was despised and rejected by men, acquainted with grief like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He took on our infirmities and carried our sorrows. 
he was struck down and afflicted. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is your worthy conqueror. This is your worthy redeemer. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one whom John the Baptist prophesied about saying, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Jesus in his sacrificial character is the most prominent object in the heavenly world. It was this vision of a slaughtered lamb that became and remains the object of universal wonder and adoration. His lowest state became his highest glory. And this is where the the declaration goes out in verse 9. It says, You, Lamb of God, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. So remember, the scroll is the title deed of the earth. The deed of purchase that shows we have been purchased. Okay, We have been bought out of our debt. And it is Jesus, the Lamb, who has purchased us and therefore conquered and overcome and triumphed. And what did his triumph achieve? It's in verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So his triumph that was by his blood, it purchased us back and he has made us to be the very thing that we were always meant to be. A kingdom of priests that lived on earth and reigned over earth and served our God from there. When we gave back possession of the earth to Satan, we forfeited our rights to be called sons and daughters of God. We forfeited communion with God and we no longer had the ability to serve him as a kingdom of priests. That's what happened when we gave it over. And this is Jesus who came. Christ came as our kinsman redeemer. And this is where we come to number four. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. What does it mean that he came as a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer was a male relative who took on the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble or in danger or in need. So a kinsman redeemer would step in when a relative of theirs was, let's say they had a debt to pay a kinsman redeemer could come in and say, I'm your next of kin and I'm going to take your debt and I'm going to pay it for you. Or if they had to sell a piece of property to pay off something, they would come and buy the land and the property so that it stayed in the family name because then it wouldn't get lost to someone else, another family. Or when a brother's wife, no, when a brother died and left behind a wife and they were widowed, that's what we see Boaz was to Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, where he took Ruth into his name and he married into her and he gave her his name and legacy. So Jesus was our kinsman redeemer. 
He purchased us. He paid all of our debt and he brought us into his name. But to be a kinsman redeemer, you had to fulfill three requirements. The first one was that they had to be a male relative. Okay, so Jesus became a man descended from Adam, the firstborn. Okay, he came through the lineage of Adam. You can trace it in his genealogy. He came through the royal root of David and he qualified as our next of kin. So he fulfilled the first requirement. He was a male kinsman or relative. The second one, he, the kinsman redeemer had to be willing to pay the full price of whatever debt was owed. They couldn't just pay a portion of it or a percentage of it. They had to pay the full price. And because of our sin, the price of redemption was blood. So Jesus had to be willing to shed every drop of blood in order to purchase us. If he wasn't willing to do that, he didn't have to step in as the kinsman redeemer. But he was willing. But then the third thing, he had to be able to pay the full price of the debt owed. So the only acceptable payment was perfect blood. A sacrifice without blemish. If there was any blemish in Jesus, he wouldn't have been able to pay the price. But he lived on this earth sinless and therefore was able to pay the price of the debt, which was perfect blood. He alone was the worthy kinsman redeemer and he alone was the worthy sacrificial lamb. And as a result of paying this price, he freed man from sin and from death and from Satan's ownership of the earth. He bought back possession of the earth and all its inhabitants so that it came under his name. And so he qualified as the kinsman redeemer. Remember, number three of the scroll. He qualified as the one whose name is written on that certificate in blood, which proves his ownership of the earth. And he restored us to what we were always meant to be, a kingship, priests on earth to serve God. Jesus alone is worthy to break the seals. He fulfills every word of God and every letter of the law and every prophetic utterance and every promise. He is the perfect judge who is called faithful and true in Revelation 19. He has been given authority to judge and to wage war on the earth. And he is our kinsman redeemer, the one whose name is written on that certificate of ownership. And only he can claim the scroll from the hand of the Father. Some of you know Kevin Connor. He wrote about how the Lamb of God is the, the scarlet thread that's woven throughout Scripture. If we just bring it up, you can see this lamb was the one who was slain to make skins for Adam and Eve in their nakedness. Do you want to bring that up? He was the slain lamb in Eden when God made skins for Adam and Eve. He was the slain lamb of worship offered to God by Abel. He was the substitute sacrifice when Isaac asked his father Abraham, where is the lamb for the offering? He was the Passover lamb for a nation in Egypt when the angel of death came to take the life of every firstborn. He was the morning and evening lamb on Israel's altar 
in the tabernacle, day and night, the sacrifice was there mediating between God and man. He was the Lamb of God slain from eternity, it says in 1 Peter. And he is the Lamb on the throne now glorified before all of heaven and all creation. And Jesus in his atoning state as the slaughtered lamb is the focus of all creation in this moment. Their deepest reverence and their highest adoration goes to the lamb who was slain. He's tender, but he's not timid. He is lowly, but he's not without power. He is meek, but fully capable of might. And he's humble, but he is a king. And this is the one to whom we sing the song of redemption in verse 12. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And this is our song of redemption. The whole reason Jesus came as the Lamb to be seen in his slain state is to stir up your heart for love, to sing the song of redemption. When you have no words to be able to sing any worship, and when you do not feel like it, and when you are going through the hardships of life, he appears as the slain lamb to make your heart see that he has paid every price when we couldn't. And I know that the afflictions of this world are difficult, and it is hard, and it is sometimes you are left without any possibility of worshipping. But the Lamb is in the centre of the throne before all creation, not as the priest, as the kingly, glorified king that he deserves to be seen as, but as this lowly and tender man who shed every drop of blood as an act of love. And that is who we worship. When you have nothing else to say, you can see that there is a greater hope and there is a greater treasure that awaits us in eternity. And one day you will meet him face to face and he will wipe every tear from your eye. Because we have been ransomed. Our debt is paid once and for all by the only one who was worthy and could fulfill the requirements. That's why it's appropriate of what we were singing today. And I want to give us a chance to just respond and sing in the light of the Lamb who was worthy to take the scroll. When we sing, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. You deserve the glory and the honour. It is because he was the only one who could fulfil every requirement. He was willing and able to pay the price. Beck, why don't you come up and just lead us? And 
would you stand and just prepare your heart to be to be able to minister to the Lamb, the one who is worthy.